Steve should never have opened this place again. There's been too much trouble here. Did you know that a young boy drowned the year before those two others were killed? The counselors weren't paying any attention. They were making love while that young boy drowned. His name was Jason. I was working the day that it happened, preparing meals. Here, I was the cook. Jason should have been watched every minute. He was... He wasn't a very good swimmer. We can go now, dear. I think we should wait for Mr. Christie. Oh, that's not necessary. I don't understand. Welcome to this episode of the Movie Client Podcast. I am David, and this is my wife, Sherry. And on this episode, we'll be covering the film Friday the 13th from 1980. Now, I'm going to pass this to Sherry so we can get some of her uh, background on this and her first, uh, what, viewing, two viewings? I don't have a whole lot of history with the older. Yes. Like, I saw the newer ones. Mm-hmm. Um, so just two viewings. So just two view, two viewings on this one. Yeah. And you had never seen any of this one previous at all no. up until recently. No. Oh. And um, it was um very different because very, I wasn't used to a movie without Jason. Yeah. Well, uh, we'll get into that yeah. I guess as we go. Yeah. But I, I don't think I we're gonna be spoiling a movie that's over forty years old. But Jason is not the killer in this one. <laughs> so yeah, that might have been something for um. If you had never seen it, that was right. uh, threw you off. So I can understand that. My history with this is I watched this film on HBO when I was a kid with some friends of mine that were spending the night with me, and we had never seen anything like this before. You know, outside of Halloween, and Halloween was not really it was a horror movie, a slasher movie, but not a gory movie like this one gets. And we were just mesmerized by this, Mm. just by the kills and just the total feel of the movie. And of course, like I said, spoilers on a movie that's over 40 years old, the ending scene where Jason jumps out of the water and grabs uh, the lead character and pulls her out of there. All three of us literally jumped out of our seats. (laughs) That scared us so bad. To me, this is 
I mean, I ain't going to say this is my favorite slasher film, but it definitely is one you can see where the groundwork was laid for other ones that came after it. But we'll get into that as we go along. But I guess what we're going to do here is we're going to drop the trailer in for the film and then come back with a cast and the plot synopsis. Okay, the cast here. Um, what we what I have here first is the director Sean Cunningham. Now, Sean Cunningham is known for such films as Spring Break. He's directed a film called The New Kids and Deep Star Six. And he's also been a producer on some films. He produced some of Wes Craven's early films, like Last House on the Left. And um, I think he was even a producer on Hills Have Eyes. I'm not 100% sure, but I want to say he was. And he's still working today. I mean, he's still doing... Matter of fact, I think he's still trying to get a new Friday the 13th film off the ground, but due to legal issues that are going on right now, it doesn't seem to be happening. Oh, wow. And the next uh, cast member I have is uh, Adrian King, who plays Alice. Now, she was apparently in Saturday Night Fever, but I do not remember her in the film, but of course I haven't watched that film in a number of years. And she was in a, I think a movie called Hair and one called Psychic Experiment. And she dropped out of acting shortly after this film. 
you know, I think she did a brief cameo in part two, but she dropped out due to a incident with a stalker. You know, if you know anything about Adrian King, it just sounds like it was just a frightening experience yeah. to have. And I don't think she ever really went back into it. I think she started to dip her toes back into it slowly now, but I don't know. You could kind of tell when she talks about it, it's still kind of a traumatizing um, experience. Stalkers for are never fun. And the next uh, cast member we have is Jenny Taylor, and she plays Marcy. Now, she doesn't have... She basically has two credits, and I think one of them was a bit part. And her next one was called The Royal Romance of Charles and Diana. Oh, so okay. I take it that maybe that was a TV movie about them okay. about that time, but that's it. Two credits. I think she was mainly more of a stage actress anyway. Oh, and that was 1982. Oh, that, it was? That, um, that, that. She might have played Diane, maybe? I, oh. I have no clue. Um, oh, but, she played Samantha Edwards, so no. Oh, okay. But you're going to listen as I go through this cast list that their credits are very sparse because a lot of these actors that came into this movie came into it from stage. They weren't really known as film actors or TV actors. She's working on a documentary around right now called Uncommon Sense. So she's filming through Indiegogo. Oh, I didn't hear about that. So I guess apparently she's kind of getting back into the work, you know, back into uh, filmmaking because I know it seemed like she pretty much all but dropped out. And she was in a documentary in 2021, the movies that made us, and that was for Friday the 13th. Mm, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know she uh, popped up in that Crystal Lake Memories documentary also. Yeah, 2013. Yep. But uh, the next uh, cast member I have is Robbie Morgan, who plays Annie. And she was in very few films and TV as well. She was in a movie, I Married a Centerfold, and one called Dutch Follow, and another one called Forbidden Love, and a TV show such as Fall Guy. I mean, I think all total, she has around 11 credits. She's doing one called Pay Attention. Oh, a newer film? Though? Yeah. Oh, okay. So, well, at least some of these seem like they're actually getting back into the acting game a little bit now. Yeah. Um, the next one I have is Laurie Bartram. I want to say that's how to pronounce her last name. Uh, and she plays Brenda. And she appeared in shows such as Another World and TV shows such as Emergency. Only four credits to her name. Yeah. And she passed away in 2007 at age 49. I believe she passed away from breast cancer, if my memory's correct on that. And uh, the next person we have is uh, Harry Crosby, who played Bill. And he was in such things as Ride for Pony Express and TV shows such as Double Trouble, which I remember that show. That was a show about twin girls. I do remember mm -hmm. that one very well. And uh, he only has six credits to his name. So, like I said, you're going to notice a pattern here. Just very few credits for these uh, actors and actresses. And Mark Nelson, who plays Ned. Now, he apparently was in the movie First Wives Club. Who was that? Uh, he played Ned? Yeah. He was apparently in the movie oh, First Mark Wives. Mark Nelson. Yeah. And uh, one called The Rewrite. And he appeared in TV shows such as Law and Order, Spin City, and Another World. And he's actually got 22 credits. So He's working on a TV series, Julia. I don't know. I can't place him if I'd seen him in anything else. Like I said, outside of one of the actors we're going to get to here shortly, 
you know, none of these I've seen them in anything else. Mm -mm. And, okay, we have Peter Brower as Steve Christie, the man with the 70s porn stash in the movie. <laughs> and he was in, like, he did a lot of soap opera work. He was in As the World Turns, A Guiding Light, One Life to Live, and All My Children. Yeah. And he's got, like, 13 credits all total. He played Judge Robinson on All My Children. Um, so I, oh, yeah, all my children. Yeah, judging by what I've seen, I guess it like his main work was in uh, soap operas, yeah. which I guess mm -hmm. that's steady work, so you can't beat that. Yep. And finally, one of, well, next to last, I have of course um, somebody we already uh, talked about on the podcast, Kevin Bacon, who Kevin plays Bacon. Jack. And of course, he uh, he was in uh, the film Tremors, which we covered on a recent episode, mm -hmm. and uh, films such as The Hollow Man, Mystic River, and Black Mass. Three credits. Yep. And he was on TV shows such as Guiding Light and Search for Tomorrow. And he's, of course, still working today and working very steady today. His, he's working on a movie <clears throat> called One Way, and he's known as Asshole Fred Sr. It says Asshole slash Fred Sr. Okay. Wow. So, <laughs> so Asshole's his real name? Is he's going to be in Toxic Avenger. Yeah, I read about that. They were remaking Toxic Avenger, and he's going to be in that. That's a weird movie to be remaking, but... And finally, I have Betsy Palmer as Mrs. Voorhees. And she appeared in films such as Mr. Roberts, Queen Bee, and The Last Angry Man. And the TV shows such as Chips, Love Boat, T.J. Hooker, and Newhart. And she passed away in 2015 at the age of 88. Wow. So she had a nice little long life there. By all accounts, just a very nice woman, too. Judging, not judging by what you see from her in this movie later on. But do you have anything to add as far as a cast no. or anything in particular? No. Okay, we'll uh, jump right into the plot synopsis here, which um, this is a film I'm going to say, it's like I said, I've said this twice already, but this is a over 40-year-old film, so if you haven't watched this movie for some reason, go back and watch it, come back and listen to the episode because we're going to be spoiling stuff. This is kind of plays like almost a murder mystery in some ways, where you yeah. don't know who the killer is until the end. But like I said, just be warned. But anyway, we start out at Camp Crystal Lake, 1958. You know, and it's nighttime, and we got campers are kind of sitting around singing campfire songs. Mm -hmm. You know, just, uh, you know, I guess the day's winding down, and they're just sitting there just singing songs and everything, and... I guess there's a boy and a girl who kind of making eyes at each other and everything, and I guess sparks are flying. Oh, man, I'm using a screenplay. A guy wrote this. A guy wrote this. Okay. A guy wrote this. Okay, what did he write? <laughs> he wrote, Claudette is looking for someone. Claudette is 17 years old. She is pretty. She wears a t-shirt with assistant counselor written on it. She fills out the shirt very well. Yeah, yeah, a guy wrote that. Yes. Yeah, a guy wrote that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely a guy wrote that. <laughs> As these two are looking at each other, this is the first of our POV shots right. of someone walking around outside in the camera. Watching campgrounds. people. And this person is walking through the children's cabin. There are children asleep in the cabin. These two, and the campers kind of, then we cut back to the campers and they're kind of breaking away from each other for the night. And this boy and girl camper that you were talking about, the one that fills out the shirt. Claudette. Claudette. They make their way out to, I guess, 
I'd, I'd say kind of a barn or someplace outside of the, in the cabins uh-huh. somewhere. And they're, you know, commencing to making out as you do in a camp. And then this figure is walking up the steps. Right. We never see who this person is. About that time, the guy turns and notices her and then Claudette, the one with the filled out shirt, does too. And, you know, the guy's like, oh, we weren't doing anything. We weren't doing anything. And then all of a sudden, the guy's just flung to the side. And then you see him fall to the ground and he's been stabbed. And then the girl just starts screaming. And it's like a slow motion scream. You assume she's dead too. Yeah, she's just trying to stumble all over the place, trying to get away from whoever it is. And then that's when we go into our opening credits. So we've already, we've already got two deaths in the space of probably three minutes of this film. So, and you and, didn't talk about their outfits. Yeah, you were you were mentioning something that these were supposed to be like fifties outfits. They're seventies all all around. Yeah, that's what I'm kind of gathering too. They did seem like they were late seventies. The screenplayer calls the person following everybody the prowler. I see. Well, I guess that's one way you could put it. Yeah, mm-hmm. because technically that's what they're doing. You know, I guess that is one way to approach it. But after the credits, we go to present day, and it is Friday, June the 13th, and I'm assuming, of course, this is 1980, and we see a girl, Annie, backpacking. She's walking through this like, little small town, and she stops and, you know, kind of pets a dog, and then she walks into this, uh, I guess, kind of cafe restaurant, mm-hmm. restaurant, and she asks about, you know, if anybody knew the way to Camp Crystal Lake. And, of course, everybody turns and looks at her like, what are you talking about? You know, they're just giving her the eye. And then this uh, kind of truck driver offers to give her a ride. You know, he, he doesn't seem happy about it, but he's like, I'll, I'll take you at least part way. I'm going that way anyway. I can take you at least part way. And he tells her, he starts telling her, asking her why she's going there. Yeah, I was getting into yeah. that as they're going out to the car. He's asking her why she wants to go there and everything, and then that's about the time they run into uh, who we find out is Crazy Ralph. And he's outside spouting things about how Crystal Lake has got a death curse on it, and you need to stay away from there and everything. And naturally, you know, she's he's just kind of waved off as a drunk idiot. And then, you know, the trucker helps uh, Annie up into the car. And you pointed this out last night where he just got a handful of her ass yes, and pushed her up in there. Yes, he just grabs her butt and pushes her up in there. Yeah, I didn't even notice that. I didn't turn around and kicked him right in the face. Well, this was a <laughs> pre-Me Too movement. So, you know, there was a lot of ass grabbing back then. And he helps her up into the cab and everything, and then they take off. And this kind of trucker tells her about the history of uh, Crystal Lake and everything and he basically calls Steve Christie the man who's trying to open the camp back up a nut. You know, he talks about how the place is jinxed. There was like uh, drowning and then two murders the next year. There had been fires up there. The water went bad and everything. He said the place is just cursed all the way around right. and said, so why would you want to open a place like that where it just seems like you know bad things keep happening? And, of course, Annie's just kind of looking at him like, oh, you're just an old idiot. You don't know what you're talking about, you know. You know how young people are. They don't, you know, you don't listen to your elders at all. Which, in these movies, you need to learn, listen to the old people. They know what they're talking about. <laughs> but they all never do figure that out till it's too late. And the trucker just basically calls them all just a bunch of dumb kids. And, you know, Annie kind of just rolls her eyes at him like, you know, whatever. 
And, uh, you know, Denny kind of just lets her out and she just kind of continues on foot. Well, right before that, we got to give a shout out to Meatloaf. It was playing Bad Out of Hell. All right. Here's Meatloaf from Bad Out of Hell. That's what this says. It wasn't in the movie. Oh, was it? Weatherman no. Dr. Jim says it's going to be a 9.5 day. Here's Meatloaf from the Bad Out of Hell album. A movie that's on the radio? They probably couldn't get the okay, rights to it. Okay, the screenplay is way off. They, they couldn't get the rights to it because, yeah, no, it was all just a bunch of this weird kind of fake country music that's that was playing I thought, in this movie. Yeah. yeah. I didn't remember hearing Meatloaf. No, no. Uh, that was probably something the screenwriter wanted them to put in there, but mm. they probably couldn't afford it because when you hear the budget for this movie, they couldn't have afforded that music in here. Yeah, this uh, trucker lets Marcy out, and, or, or Annie out, and she continues on foot. And then we follow a truck with said country music playing. And this is, we have Marcy, Ned, and Jack in the truck, and they're headed to Camp Crystal Lake. And Ned wants to know if there's going to be any girls up there as pretty as Marcy. This guy right here kind of comes off, and we kind of talk about this as we go, but I kind of felt like he had kind of a little thing for Marcy, even though Marcy was with Jack. Yeah, he kind of kept, like, always looking at her them a certain way. I don't know if it was he liked her or he just kind of felt like a third wheel, like he didn't have a girl and he was kind of jealous that they were kind of envious that they had a relationship and he doesn't. Yeah, basically I think what he's kind of hoping is that he'll maybe meet up, hook up with a girl some kind and up there, but spoiler alert, he doesn't. <laughs> so the car doesn't pick up Annie yet? That's afterwards? No, not yet. Okay, well, this, this screenplay's all out of whack. Okay. Next, we pull into... Their truck pulls into camp. And like I said, this is when we run into 70s porn stash Steve Christie. Yeah. And he's out there trying to remove a stump from the ground, basically. He's kind of chopping around the stump and trying to remove it from the ground. And they pull up, and Steve has them kind of help him out. You know, they make their introductions, and Steve has them help him kind of move the stump around so they can pull it out of the ground. Alice comes out, and she's been, like, cleaning one of the cabins, it looks like. You know, she's got gear where she's been, I guess, trying to get everything ready. They asked, uh, I think Steve asked where Brenda is, which is another one of the counselors, and uh, Alice says, uh, I think she's down at the archery range. Then we cut to Alice fixing a gutter on one of the uh, cabins. And Steve kind of walks up and kind of helps her out, kind of holding things and stuff like that so she can get the nails into the gutter. Uh, do you think they had something going on? Well, I was actually about to get into that because Steve has some drawings that Alice had made of him that he she had made of him the previous night. And it's almost implied that her and Steve kind of had a little bit of a fling. It's never outright stated. But their body language towards each other is kind of personal. Yeah, it's that's kind of... yeah. It's like I said, it's never spoken outright. But you get kind of a sense that maybe there was a little bit of something going on there. And Alice kind of talks about, you know, she's thinking about leaving, you know, because of some personal things she has going on back at home. But Steve kind of says, well, just stay another week. And if you still feel that way, I'll make sure you get home myself. And she just like, okay, she agrees to that. Next, uh, Alice kind of goes down and just checks in with a uh, character, Bill, who's down there painting by the lake. Shortly after that, this is when we see 
uh, Steve Christie is getting ready to leave. He, at the same time, he's getting ready to leave to go get some supplies before the storm comes in that evening. He wants to head out and, I guess, get extra paint, whatever they need. As he's leaving, you know, to everybody sitting there kind of talking, and they said, yeah, you did hear about what this place was called. You know, when we come up here, this place is called Camp Blood. Mm. This place, apparently, this history of this place has already got to them, too. And then we cut to Brenda. She's back down there working around the archery range. And as she's walking around one of the targets, an arrow flies and nearly hits her. Yeah, and this is the guy that has the <clears throat> yellow feather. Yeah, this is a Ned. <laughs> and needless to say, she goes after Ned uh, after he shoots her, or nearly shoots her with an arrow, which, needless to say, I can't blame her. You know, I would have too. Then we cut back to Annie walking on the road. And then a Jeep is pulling, going by her. She's hitchhiking. Yeah, she's hitchhiking. And then this Jeep stops. You know, Annie loads her gear in the back of the Jeep and just jumps in and just starts, uh, you know, shooting the shit with this person that she's driving with. Mm-hmm. And you never see who this person is. But you notice that it's a Jeep and that Steve guy just left in a Jeep. Steve was in a Jeep as well. Right. And as Annie's talking to this person, they pass by the road where she had to go. And Annie says, well, I think you went by my road. And then all of a sudden, the Jeep starts speeding up. And Annie just wants her to stop, this person to stop. And finally, Annie just jumps out of the Jeep, you know, and takes off into the woods. It's like she hurts her, hurt her leg because yeah, she's she didn't limping. really take off yet. She was laying there by the side of the road, and the yeah. Jeep backs up. Yeah, the Jeep backs up. I was like, girl, get up. Run. Well, she gets up to run, but you can see she's kind of limping. So I guess she kind of hurt her leg when she got, you know, jumped out of the Jeep. And she's going through, she's going through the forest and the killer is tracking her down. Of course, we, like I said, we never see this killer. It's all point of view shots. And Annie's making her way through the woods and she falls. And as she falls, she falls right in front of two feet. And she stands up and she's just like, please, no. And then we see a knife come into frame and it just slashes in front of her and cuts Annie's throat right there against a tree. Yeah. And then she just falls out of frame and she's dead. And you can tell her neck is not hers. Yeah. Tell it's like a mannequin neck because the skin doesn't match. Yeah, that's one of the things in this new era of Blu-ray and everything, you can kind of see the special effects a little more clearly than you could back in the day on like videotape or TV when you watch this movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, the effects are still good, but you can kind of tell a little bit more how they were done. And then we cut back to Crystal Lake where the group, I guess, are taking a break from their chores and they're out there having a swim and just kind of cutting up and having fun. And then we kind of cut to a point of view across the lake. And there's somebody out there in a brush watching them. As they're swimming, Brenda kind of just looks out that way. And you can tell she's uneasy. And she, it's almost like she says that she feels like somebody's over there watching. You know, which I always found that scene. There's two scenes in this movie that I find that are just kind of creepy in general. And that's one of them because it's like you feel somebody's watching you, but you can't tell where they're at. And I always really liked that scene. And, of course, the group is kind of continuing to swim and then enjoy themselves. And Ned all of a sudden starts kind of flopping around in the water like he's drowning. He disappears under the water. Yeah. And then, you know, the group and everything kind of grabs him and, you know, pulls him out of the water Mm -hmm. and up onto the dock. 
And Brenda kind of gets down there. She knows mouth to mouth and she starts giving him CPR. And then, of course, it was all a fake and he was just trying to want to kiss Brenda, which, you know, <laughs> um, not not the, probably the smartest way to get in with the ladies right there. No, but, scaring everybody to death. Yeah, that wasn't probably the best approach. Then we cut to a scene of, I guess, afterwards where Alice is in the cabin and she's had a shower. And then she notices a snake in the cabin. A big black snake. It's a big black snake. Mm -hmm. And really, she just caused a group in. Now, this is a scene I never understood why they had to actually kill a snake. I know. I hate that. Because you could tell it was real. It was a real snake, and they ended up killing it. And I was just like, I guess this is probably just before they had all the animal rights mm -hmm. things on sets. Yeah. Because there is no way you could do that now. And, of course, you know, they chop it up and everything. And then one of the set was, at least we know what we're going to have for dinner tonight. Ew. Yeah, ew. Uh, then we kind of cut back to outside. And then we have this motorcycle cop pull up. <laughs> yep. This motorcycle cop is basically there to just kind of harass uh, the kids and everything. And he's looking for Ralph because, his, you know, his wife reported him missing and he gets drunk and he tends to go around and bother people. <laughs> Which, you know, most that's what most drunks do anyway. And this is the man that <clears throat> Annie ran into yeah, the in old, town. Yeah, the old man. And um, the cop basically tells him that if you see him, let him know and everything. And then he just leaves. And this is about time we cut back inside. Alice is cleaning dishes, you know, getting things, you know, squared away. I guess getting ready, things ready for dinner. She opens the pantry door and then Ralph is in the pantry. And he just bursts out. And he warns Alice and then some of the other people come in. I think Marcy and Ned and all them come in. And he warns them that they're all doomed if they stay there. And he says, you know, I'm just trying to warn you. You're all doomed if you stay here. And of course, naturally, they don't listen. And he gets on his bike and rides off. And then we cut to, I guess, toward the evening. And the group is kind of, you know, cooking dinner and everything. And they wonder where Annie is. Because, you know, we found out, you know, Annie was the cook. She was supposed to be the cook. But, of course, you know, she didn't quite make it. The generator goes down about the time they're cooking. And Jack and all go out there and they start it up. We see it's like this big generator, like this gas-powered generator. <laughs> That's made me think of that movie. It's a generator. Remember Which, that movie? Killing birds or something? Was that? Oh, it's a generator. Oh, it must be centuries old. You're old. Yeah, centuries <laughs> old. Yeah, when the generator wouldn't be that old. Yeah, I got killing... <laughs> zombie 5, killing birds. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, that, that movie is a sight to behold. A movie we, we should probably cover on here at some point. Oh, Lord. Yeah, that's a, that'd, be a, that'd be a brutal one to do. Then we kind of cut to, I guess, kind of late in the evening, and Marcy and Jack are kind of walking by the lake. You know, they're kind of kissing, making out and everything. And, mm -hmm. and then we kind of move over, you know, a little ways away, and Ned is just kind of standing there. Watching Watching, them. and, you know, he kind of looks... A little sad. A little sad and a little bit mm -hmm. like... It's like I said, I always just got the bead that he was really into Marcy. Oh. I mean, I, I kind of more felt like he just felt like he was a third wheel. Yeah, I mean, I could see that too. I don't think that's a wrong approach either, but I always, I don't know, just kind of the way he was looking. But I don't know. As I said, you could read it either way. But it wouldn't have surprised me if he liked her because she was always like touching him and teasing him. And, you know, he may have just been like liking the attention. Yeah, yeah. I mean, know? that's true too. I could see that. 
And, you know, Ned just kind of walks away. He's kind of got this sad, you know, look on his face and everything. Mm-hmm. And he walks by one of the cabins, and he notices somebody kind of walking around the door. There's an open door, and somebody walking around, but you can't really see who it is because there's some brush in the way. And he's like, uh, you know, who who's there? And the person doesn't answer, and they just kind of walk in. And, of course, you know, Ned walks up the steps and then walks into the cabin. We'll get back to Ned later. Uh, but to me, this is the second creepy scene in the movie because you can't see who that is. And I don't know, that's just, if I seen that and I asked who that person was and they didn't answer, I'd be damned if I'm going to walk in that cabin and follow them in there. You know, but that's just me. Marcy and Jack are still by the lake. And, and Marcy starts to tell Jack about this dream that she has about how it's just raining. This like strong rain and everything, and then the rain kind of turns into blood. Just as this storm is starting to roll into Crystal Lake, it's like very heavy rainstorm. Which I always kind of liked that story because I always looked at it as almost like a premonition mm-hmm. of death. And, you know, of course the rain starts and it's starting to roll in and Marcy and Jack kind of go and they go back into the cabin. And as they get back in the cabin, both of them start to get undressed and then they get into bed. And then we cut back to the other cabin where Alice, uh, Brenda, and Bill are. And they're just hanging out. And then Brenda suggests playing a game of Strip Monopoly. (laughs) Which, you know, is a game I'm sure was probably played a lot after this movie. And then we cut back to Jack and Marcy who are making the Beast of Two Backs uh, in the bedroom. And as they're doing that, the camera slowly pans up. Because they're on a bunk bed, apparently. They're on the bottom bunk. And they're on the bottom bunk. And the camera slowly pans up. And then above them is Ned's body yeah. on the bed. And like his throat's been cut. We know uh, good things didn't happen for Ned when he followed that person <laughs> into the cabin. Marcy's making a whole lot of, uh, oh, noises. Yeah. It's a, it's a whole, little movement. Yeah, it's a little movement. <laughs> Then after this, Marcy gets out of bed. She gets dressed to go to the bathroom, which Mm -hmm. their bathrooms are in a whole other, I guess, part of the camp. It's, I guess, like a shower uh, bathroom kind of area. Right. Jack just kind of stays in bed, and he grabs a joint, you know, and he just lights up a joint, and he's just laying there smoking. After he told the cop earlier he didn't smoke. Yeah, he told the cop he didn't smoke. He said, you get cancer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he, he lied. He lied. You know, that's just all there is to it. He just lied. And he's laying there just smoking a joint, just relaxing. And then a hand comes out from up under the bed, grabs him by the top of his head. And then an arrowhead comes up through his neck. And just blood just starts to geyser mm-hmm. out of this. Yeah. And you can kind of tell another one of the effects where mm-hmm. the neck doesn't match up. The skin color of the... Where, where it's happening doesn't match the rest of his skin. Yeah. Now, I remember reading how they did this is that Kevin Bacon, only his head was up above. His whole body was up under the bed. Oh, okay. And they just had his head up there. And what they did is when that arrow thing was up there, they had a little pump with mm. blood in it. But they said they remember what happened is the pump didn't work. So what they had to do to make the blood geyser is the guy got up under there with his mouth and blew into it and made the blood. That's why it shoots up like it does. Because they said it actually made the effect look better than probably it would have. But that was kind of the way they did that effect. Which, I mean, I will say this, despite 
you know, being able to see the seams of that effect, it still looks pretty good, even now. But then we kind of cut to Marcy. She's in the bathroom. We see a figure walk into that, you know, washroom kind of uh, area. We don't see who it is. We just see their feet. Mm-hmm. And Marcy hears somebody walk in, but she can't really tell. She thinks it might be Jack coming in. And she kind of just walks out and looks around, and she doesn't really see anybody. So she kind of goes to the sink and is just kind of washing up, but she keeps hearing something. Like around it, there's some curtains around the shower area. Yeah. And she keeps hearing something, but she can't make out what it is. And she just kind of walks over there to investigate and everything, and she starts pulling some (laughs) of the shower curtains out of the way. And she pulls one of them out of the way, and then about that time behind her, you see a shadow of an axe being raised behind her. And she turns around and screams, and then this axe just is buried right in her face. This is probably one of the most brutal kills Dang. I think I've seen in any movie. <laughs> it's oh. like deep in. Yeah. Like, I mean. What disturbed me the most about the scene is she didn't change her panties and she just had sex. Yeah, you mentioned that. <laughs> and I always, I, I mean, I've seen her grab clothes. She's washing her face and her hands. I'm like, okay. <laughs> well, the thing about it is, is I know she grabbed clothes. They look like the same panties. No, I mean, or maybe she buys them in bulk. Maybe they were a different pair. But I just, I do remember she had like a handful of clothes when she was walking out Girl chains and panties. Yeah. Well, I guess she didn't have to worry about it after this. Let me put no. it that way. Yeah. Well, she washed her, she washed her face, so it was clean as the axe went in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was a... That I was, thought that was the best kind of death scene in this one. Like, it looked the realest. Yeah, um... That's probably, if I my memory's correct, when I watched this movie when I was a kid, that one there just blew me away when I yeah. seen it because it was just the bluntness of it. Well, like like the other scene where he slit the throat and then even Kevin Bacon's, you could tell that area was fake. Yeah. This looked like an actual person. Yeah. She just kind of falls back. Yeah, she kind of falls back just yeah. from the trauma of it. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, it's it's a harsh death. Dang. I mean, to me, I think it's the worst death in this movie, hands down. Outside of one we'll get to probably later. Well, at least she got laid one last time. Well, yeah. Well, <laughs> Kevin Bacon did too before he got the arrow in his neck. And uh, now we cut back to the group still playing Strip Monopoly. And Brenda has lost her shirt. And, you know, they're kind of still going around the board. And Alice lands on apparently a place where she's going to have to start taking her shirt off, too. And what's his face? The other guy, he's already got no shirt on. Yeah, I think he's basically down to his underwear. Mm -hmm. I think if my memory is correct on that. So Alice seems like the only one that's really technically fully dressed. And about the time Alice is starting to take her shirt off, the door blows open, you know, from the storm outside. You know, rain's coming in and it starts knocking. I guess the wind's blowing the pieces off the board and everything and messing everything up. And about that time, Brenda remembers like, oh, God, I left my windows up in my cabin. I need to go. And, you know, she gets up and throws on like a kind of a poncho and gets ready to head out. But she looks at Alice and she says, we'll start this again. And she looks at Alice and like, just as things are getting interesting. I know. Now, I've had people point out to me that that maybe was a sign that Brenda was a lesbian or bisexual. 
And I never really got that from this, but I could see where somebody would think that. Well, she looks right at Alice when she says it. That's why. Because it was about to get good or whatever she said. Interesting. Yeah. And it never dawned on me till somebody brought that up to me and I got to thinking about that line. I'm like, yeah, that does kind of play like that. But Mm -hmm. they never do really say if she's into girls or guys. No. You know, she had a couple scenes with the guy. What was the guy's name? The the Indian headrest and all? I think it was, uh, wasn't that Ned? Ned. Yeah. Okay. No, Ned was the other guy, right? I think Ned was. Ned, I think Ned, Ned was the one in the truck with Kevin. Yeah, Bay. yeah. No, that's not the same guy. Oh, I didn't. It didn't seem like it was uh, Bill. Because he maybe got it killed. Was. He was in the bunk bed. Yeah. This is the other guy. What's his name? Uh, Bill. Bill. Yeah. Oh, this isn't the same guy. No. Ned was the one with the head. The yeah. Indian. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, he's already dead then. Yeah. I was just saying, you know, he, they had moments, and she didn't seem very interested. Well, and, that's, him, and she was just like, yeah, I mean, like I said, I mean, you could read it either yeah. way, but yeah, I mean, I didn't think about that till somebody pointed it out to me and I thought, well, that's kind of interesting. I didn't really, yeah, you know, I didn't really think about that, but I could see where you would, uh, where that would kind of cross your mind. Next, we kind of cut to Steve in like a local diner. Mm-hmm. You know, he's getting better, getting ready to head back to camp. It's dark and everything. I guess he was just getting himself some food before he headed back in. And the uh, woman behind the counter, you know. Sandy. Yeah, Sandy. She uh, she kind of flirting with Steve. Steve is, is. Steve is kind of a ladies' man around town, apparently, because he's uh, he's got Alice hooked up on him, and he's got a woman at the restaurant there. Apparently, that uh, 70s porn stash is working for him. <laughs> And, uh, you know, Steve uh, heads on out and, you know, gets in his Jeep and goes to the camp. Now, Brenda goes to the washroom where Marcy was earlier. And she's in there kind of brushing her teeth and everything. And she starts hearing something around the shower curtain and she keeps peeking over there. And she just kind of dusts it off like, oh, it's maybe just a wind or something. Mm-hmm. But then there's one point where she doesn't see it, but there's a hand. That kind of moves the curtain a little bit because you see the hand reach out and then kind of go back behind the curtain. And then she kind of peeks over there just as the hand has disappeared. Mm-hmm. So she never sees this, that there's somebody watching her. And she just, you know, finishes brushing her teeth and she she heads out. And now we cut back to Steve Christie, who apparently his Jeep has stalled out on the side of the road. Because he's like carrying, I guess he's carrying like a, I guess what a hitch with some supplies on the back of his Jeep. And I guess maybe it like burnt the battery out or something because his car stuck on the side of the road. And that's about the time the cop, a cop pulls up and just, you know, Steve uh, jumps in the car and gets a lift from the police officer. And then we cut back to the camp. And Brenda is in her cabin, and she's kind of just lighting some candles, and she, you know, she's grabbing a book, and she's just going to get ready for bed. And she's laying there reading, and faintly outside, you hear almost the sound of a child saying, Help, Help me. me. Help me. Mm-hmm. And at first, she just thinks she's hearing things, and mm-hmm. she just kind of goes back to reading. But then she keeps hearing it. And then she just finally gets up, and she grabs her kind of robe, and gets out, goes outside to kind of try to follow the noise. And she keeps hearing it, and it's getting louder as she's going. So apparently she's on the right trail. And then she kind of ends up back out at the archery range. 
and if she's standing out there in archery range, all of a sudden all the lights on archery range turn on because we see a hand reach over and pull the power on. And she just stands there like a deer caught in headlights. But then we cut away. We do not see what happens to Brenda. Which I thought, you know, there were so many scenes like this. I'm like, weird horror movie where it doesn't show the deaths. Well, yeah. And, <laughs> and what's so weird to me is I would have sworn all my life that you seen her shot with an arrow on that archery range. But then again, I was thinking about that. I think there was a scene in Sleepaway Camp that was similar and I think that's where I was thinking of it from because yeah. there was a scene like that in that movie. So maybe that's what I was thinking of. And um, then we kind of cut back to the other cabin and Alice is in there and Bill comes in from checking the generator. And Alice tells him that she's seen the lights come on on the archery range and then they went back off. And uh, Bill says, well, let's go check in. You know, I guess let's go check in with Brenda, see what's going on with her. And they go to Brenda's cabin they walk in, she isn't there, but they find a bloody axe on her bed. And they just look at it and like, okay, something's not right here, which that's an understatement. And then they walk to the cabin to find uh, Jack and Marcy. They go to their cabin. They're not there either. And they just feel like, okay, there's something wrong here. We need to call somebody and get somebody out here. There's something not right. And they go to the office to make a call and as they go into the office, the camera pans up, and then we notice the phone line has been cut. Because we, we then we start to hear them try to make a call, and the, no call will go through. Basically, they're cut off now. That's when they make their way out to the truck. And naturally, they get out to the truck, and the truck won't start either. So they are really in bad shape now. This is the point Alex is just like, mentions Bill, let's just hike out of here. You know, let's just get out of here. And then Bill's like, well, we can't leave because it's almost like a 10-mile walk to town. And it's the middle of the night and it's raining. That wouldn't be right. They said, we should just go back in the cabin and wait for Steve to get here. He should be here soon. Uh, Alice is kind of hesitant about that idea, but she reluctantly agrees. And then they go to the cabin. And right here, we're going to go to break. And then we will come back and then we will wrap up the film. There's a special night in the lives of all of us. A night to be beautiful, to be desirable. A night we can break all the rules and make our own. Prom night. Everyone at Hamilton High is getting ready for prom night. It's a day of rehearsals, arrangements, final preparations, and last-minute phone calls. Someone still wants to play. Why? Kelly. It's been a long time. Tonight, it's my turn. Tonight, someone has come to the prom alone. Someone who watches in the silent corridors. Help! Someone who waits until no one can help. 
Prom night. If you're not back by midnight, you won't be coming home. And we are back. Um, and now we are with uh, Steve Christie in the car with uh, the police officer. And this officer is taking him back to the camp and everything. And he gets a call in from the station, I guess. And there's some kind of accident that this officer needs to get to. And he just lets them know, okay, I'll be there in about 15 minutes. And he drops uh, Steve Christie off out. I guess they're right at the camp anyway. So mm -hmm. he just drops uh, Steve outside and Steve just going to walk the rest of the way in. And, you know, Steve's walking up into the camp and, you know, he's walking by the Crystal Lake sign. And then somebody is near the sign and shines a flashlight into his eyes. And he's just sitting there trying to look and see who it is. And he says, oh, hi, what are you doing out here? And then he walks up to the person and it looked like he stabbed and he's, he's, he's gone. He's done. And then we go to the killer's POV. Uh, what you said in the screenplay was called Prowler. The Prowler walks to the generator room and turns the generator off. And all the power in the camp goes out. Bill notices this in the cabin. And ca Alice is kind of falling asleep. And, um... Bill just says, you just stay here. I'm going to go check the generator. It probably just went out again. And Alice, needless to say, is of no help because she just passes out right there on the couch. And, you know, that's the end of it. Bill goes outside, you know, to the generator room, checks it. You know, he checks the gasoline in the generator. Generator's fine. It was just, it was just off. Then about that time, we do a harsh cut. Alice wakes up and screams Bill's name. We don't see anything happen to Bill. We mm. just hear her scream his name. And Alice kind of just walks into around the cabin. It's like she's making some tea or something, but she kind of just feels uncertain. You can kind of see the look on her face like there's something wrong here. And then eventually she just gets her uh, poncho on and then she goes out. She heads to the generator room. She walks into the generator room. The door's wide open. She walks in. Finds Bill's poncho laying there, but no Bill. She steps out, and in about that time, the door closes, and Bill is hanging from the door with arrows in his body. It's like he's, apparently he was shot with arrows or hung up with arrows onto the door. I think one of them's in his in his face, and the other two are in his body. <laughs> And that's why I thought he was the guy that shooting arrows all the time. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, yeah, you would think that, but yeah, it's just kind of weird that he was shot with arrows or arrows were put in him. I don't understand that either. But Alice just naturally screams bloody murder and runs back to the cabin and just gets the door bolted up, you know, pile stuff in front of the door and everything and just barricades it. She's just like walking around and she's kind of just standing by a window, you know, closing windows and standing by a window. And then about that time, Brenda's body flies to the window. And you can't really tell exactly how Brenda was killed. I mean, it looks like she has some rope around her neck or something, or she had her throat cut. I never could really tell exactly how she died. But Brenda is, you definitely know for sure Brenda's gone now. And then Alice is like running back to the door and she's trying to get all the stuff out from the door. And by the time she sees headlights outside and she gets the door open and she runs out. And then this woman steps out of a Jeep. 
And Alice asks, who are you? And she says, oh, I'm Mrs. Voorhees. I'm an old friend of the Christie's. And Alice just comes up to her and just holds her and just screaming like, you know, oh God, you know, everybody's dead. Everybody's dead. And Mrs. Voorhees is like, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? And Alice is just like, we got to get out of here. And Mrs. Voorhees is like, no, I'll, I'll check it out. And Alice is like, no, 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 don't do that. That person, whoever it is, they'll kill you. And she's like, oh, I'm not afraid. I'm not worried. And Mrs. Voorhees goes into the cabin and Alice follows. And uh, Mrs. Voorhees is walking around the cabin and then she walks into the kitchen and notices Brenda's body on the ground and she just has a little bit of a meltdown. She's like, why did Steve want to open this place back up? He knew all the trouble that they had here. And then Mrs. Voorhees looks at Alice like, did you know about the little boy that drowned here a year before the, those counselors were killed? And then she says that boy's name was Jason. And she says Jason was a very good swimmer and he should have been watched instead of these camp counselors, you know, making love. Then Mrs. Voorhees slowly goes off the rails. She says they weren't paying attention. They weren't paying attention. And then she pulls out a knife and looks at Alice and says, look what you did to him. And then she goes after Alice with a knife. And then Alice kind of just fights her off and runs out of the cabin. Then Alice runs out to Mrs. Voorhees' Jeep. And then she opens the Jeep door and there's Annie. Her body's still in the Jeep. Apparently, Mrs. Voorhees has been carrying her around all day. And then she runs out of the, out there screaming. And then Steve Christie's body's been hanging up in a tree. And then it falls out of the tree. So the bodies, you're starting to see the bodies of everybody that's been killed. I think the only two bodies we don't see again are Marcy and Jack, if my memory's correct. I don't think, I don't recall us seeing them again. So you don't know what happens to them. And Mrs. Voorhees comes out of the cabin and she's going after Alice. And what is she's doing is the reverse of the film Psycho. She is talking in her son's voice and answering in her own voice. So that's that little boy's voice you heard? Yeah, she was talking in Jason's voice. It's like she was talking in, in Jason's voice and she was answering. And it's like, Jason, get her mama, kill her. And she says, oh, I will. And then she starts to pursue Alice. And Alice goes into another one. I guess it's like the office or something. And she finds a rifle, but she can't find the bullets. And about that time, Mrs. Voorhees goes in there. And Alice has the gun pointed at her. But it's very strange to me how Mrs. Voorhees is not afraid of this gun pointing at her. Because she don't know if the gun's loaded. She's crazy. Yeah, and that's wow. that's my best guess is she's just nuts and she don't care. She basically snatches up Alice and starts slapping her around, and they just have this big tussle in the office. And then Alice kind of, kind of co-cocks her a little bit, knocks her out, and then she bolts out of there. And that's when Mrs. Voorhees kind of comes to, and then she goes to the generator room and actually turns the generator on just as Alice is getting back to the main cabin where she was. Alice kind of gets back in there and she hides out in the pantry. And then Mrs. Voorhees comes back in and she's looking around. And apparently she knows Alice is in that pantry because she starts trying to break into the pantry. It's like she has a machete and she's starting to crack the door open. 
And then she opens it up, and Alice has like a cast iron pan. And Mrs. Voorhees opens the door, swings the machete at Alice, and Alice takes that cast iron pan and cracks her right on the side of the skull with it and just knocks her out. Because she notices Mrs. Voorhees is laying on the ground and there's blood laying on the floor. She's out. She's out cold. And then Alice goes out of the cabin and she just makes her way down to the dock. You know, she's just wiped out from this night. And she thinks, okay, well, I've dispatched her now. You know, I can just wait for somebody to get here. And what she doesn't notice is Mrs. Voorhees is snuck up behind her with a machete. And Alice and her begin to struggle. They're fighting on the beach. And this is, I have to admit, this is a knockdown, drag-out fight that these two do. And you can tell these aren't stunt actresses doing it. You can tell these are the actresses actually fighting. And they're fighting for the machete and the machete gets flung aside, and Mrs. Voorhees is actually taking Alice's head and just beating it into the ground. And and the, the I think Mrs. Voorhees actually bites Alice on the arm at one point. They bite each other. Yeah, they bite each other. Yeah, I mean, they're, this is a pretty good fight for two women that aren't stunt people at all. And they're getting in there, and they're having a big struggle, and Alice kind of rolls away. And she rolls away to the machete. And then she grabs the machete and runs at Mrs. Voorhees. And then about that time, Mrs. Voorhees sees it coming. And then this machete comes and just lops her head right off of her shoulders. Now, this is another pretty good effect. If you can overlook seeing the two toothpicks sticking out of the neck (laughs) from where the head was sitting there. But it's still a really great effect. And Neil say Mrs. Voorhees is down and that is it. And then Alice just gets in one of the boats and just kind of goes out into the middle of the lake. And then we cut to the morning. Alice is in the lake, you know, in the boat, and we see a police car pull up. And, you know, everything is good. You know, the sun is out. It's like, okay, she is finally safe. And then, of course, this is when Jason jumps out of the water and pulls her down. And she just goes up under the water. And then she wakes up in the hospital screaming. You know, the police are there. The doctors are there. And Alice is given like a shot, I guess, something to calm her down. And Alice asks, where is everybody? Is everybody dead? And the officer says, yeah, there's no survivors but you. And then she asked, uh, what about the boy? Is he dead too? And the officer is like, what boy? And she said, well, there was a boy, Jason, that just tried to drown me and he pulled me under the water and the officer's like well we didn't find any boy out there and then she just kind of looks away off into the distance and so well i guess he's still there and then we kind of cut to crystal lake and the calm waters of the lake and of course as the sequels go on we do find out he is still there and then we uh, roll credits and that is the end of friday the 13th and like I said, a film that's not heavy on plot, but heavy on kills. I guess uh, what I'm going to do is I'll let you go first on your review, or I can go first, whichever way you want to do it. You can go first. Okay. Um, well, my review of this movie is, I'm a huge fan of slasher movies. You know, I kind of grew up on them, so I have a lot of uh, attachment to them. And this film is probably one of my favorites because it's one of those that in a way kind of set the bar for things that came later on this and the original halloween 
are two films that really started the slasher film craze. And this one, I will say, is not as polished as Halloween is. I think Halloween is a better movie than this one is. But I think this one sets up the slasher, I guess the slasher template pretty well. And also, this is one that is really, I guess in a lot of ways, it's the start of a series. A series that I think they didn't really plan. You know, because I think even the uh, director, Sean Cunningham, said he had no aspirations for a sequel for this. He just said he wanted to make a good horror movie that made money. That was his whole intention going into it. There was no plans for a part two, part three, whatever. But of course, you got one. And, and two and three and four and so on. I don't know. I mean, to me, this film, I love the film as far as how you feel like you're out of civilization. The only, the, some of the parts I would have cut out were actually the parts where the cops pop up. You know, where that police, uh, where that motorcycle cop shows yeah, it was up. it's like pointless. Yeah, I would have cut that out and maybe even the other cop as far as Steve Christie. I would just maybe have Steve break down close to the camp and walk back. Because I like the idea more of them being isolated completely. Because if there was cops close by, you kind of felt a little bit more at ease. Now, I would have probably have taken those two scenes out because I didn't feel like that they really added anything like you were kind of saying. I don't know. I mean, I think this is a movie that moves pretty well. And I think the acting is pretty good considering a lot of these people, they, this was like their first movie. Or they had really been in nothing before outside of probably plays and things like that. And of course, you know, Kevin Bacon went on to be a big star. I think within probably two to three years after this movie, he was in Footloose, I think, if my memory's correct. I think it was in a space of a few years after this. So he, um, you know, he, he was, I mean, I think everybody even worked with him on this movie said that they could tell that he was going to probably, that big things were going to happen for him. And I think the kills in this movie are pretty good for back in the day. Like you was talking about the axe in the face kill, for example. That one there is just stunning to me. Uh, Mrs. Voorhees being beheaded like she is. I thought that one was really good. And even one with Kevin Bacon with the arrow coming through his neck, I think is good. But like I said, you can still see the prosthetics on it and everything. But I still think that looks really great. But like I said, overall... I'm going to say this isn't my favorite of the series, but I do have a lot of admiration for it because I do like this kind of sets up everything for later on. You kind of get, okay, here's where we came from, and then you can kind of see where it's going after this. Because this film is still referenced as far as into part seven and part eight of the series. You know, even Freddy versus Jason had Mrs. Voorhees in it. For example, when Freddy's using her to manipulate Jason. So, yeah, I mean, like I said, they did go back to this film a great deal. But I'm going to say, I'm going to give my kind of rating on this one. And I'm going to say between 1 to 10 Steve Christie mustaches, I'm going to probably go with about a 7 on this one. I'm going to say this isn't the best in the series, but I'm going to say it's an essential watch in the series because it kind of gives you a base to go on from the series in, you know, because it sets up everything for you, you know, but that's really my take on the film. So I'll uh, pass it on to you and get your thoughts on it. I think this is a movie that you need to watch before you watch all the other ones. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Because I didn't like it. 
Oh. I didn't really care that much for it. I was really bored. I had a hard time staying awake. <laughs> it just wasn't... I guess I, I wanted to see Jason. I didn't like that he wasn't in it. I didn't like all the the prowling. Like, I just, I'd, I'd rather it just be Jason killing. Yeah, now that's interesting. You said you didn't like all the point of view stuff where you Mm-mm. didn't see the killer. I didn't yeah. care for that. Yeah. Because Jason just kind of just stomps in and kills everybody. And, I mean, there may be a little creeping, but not like this. Yeah, because it's funny, they didn't really, you didn't start seeing Jason head on until, even the second one, there's a lot of point of view Well, stuff. the only, I don't have a huge history with yeah, this. Yes, yes. Like, I watched the one with the girl with telekinesis or whatever. Yeah. Most, that's the one we watched most of the time. And then I did see some of the other ones. He was very dominant in those movies. And so when you go backwards and you try to watch something that's establishing the beginning of something, it's out of whack to me. Well, this is the Hobbit to the other films, Lord of the Rings, is what this is. (laughs) This is what this is in a nutshell. Well, I mean, I can understand where you're coming from on that because you're kind of going in reverse. I miss Jason in it. Yeah, well, I mean... The difficult thing, and I can kind of sympathize where you're coming from, is because Jason was the killer in all the other films except for this one and part five. Mm -hmm. So basically, he's been through the film series, you know, pretty much all the way through. Yeah. So I could kind of see if you're used to Jason, then you kind of come to this one where he isn't there, Mm -hmm. where that would throw you off. So I can can sympathize with that. And I feel like it was like... There was no real true buildup to why this person would be doing this. Like there was one mention of this little kid drowning, and then when she tells the story. Well, and yeah, this was something I meant to get into in my review, but I was going to talk about this with you anyway mm-hmm. in yours. I'm glad you kind of brought it up. I didn't like how Mrs. Voorhees wasn't established earlier in the film. Right, like you didn't run into her. Yeah. She just literally walks up to her and introduces herself. And I think even Betsy Palmer talks about this, you know, when Mrs. Voorhees is there. She said, wouldn't it be better if I was in a scene early on, like at mm-hmm. the restaurant? Right. Or something like that, maybe working in the restaurant. So that I, you yeah, could at least oh, establish I saw that me. lady at the, the Yeah, yeah, thing. she was working there. Maybe she just talks to Steve Christie for a few yeah. minutes. Or, yeah. Or she could have been even there at the start at the mm-hmm. restaurant where the trucker was. Mm-hmm. You know, just something like that. Because she literally just walks up and like you're like, who the fuck is this? Yeah, yeah. Now that's uh, yeah. I was gonna get. I'm glad you brought that up. I, I mean, I like the fact that she was a woman doing all this. Now that's something I was. I like that's very masculine, but she's a woman. Yeah, and that's something I was gonna bring up in a little bit. But I'm glad you did because I always just found it funny how all of these slasher films where these critics talked about how it was always men just going around, you know, hacking up half naked women. Mm-hmm. They forget that this movie, the killer was a woman, you know. She dressed very masculine. Yeah. And but doing it all for her love of her son. And that's... Uh, to get revenge. And that's another thing that I remember Betsy Palmer talked about when she used to do conventions. Is that she didn't understand why people loved her character so much. She said she killed people. But she, everybody said, but you were doing it for your son that died. <laughs> You know, you blamed everybody for your son. Because she said people, they, she said couples would come and hand them their babies so that they could take <laughs> pictures of her. And she said that 
she didn't get why people loved this movie because she even said she thought this movie was a piece of trash. Because, I mean, you're, <laughs> you're also you're trying to build this strong mother's love for a character it never even showed. It just showed him, like, flaring around in the water a little bit when he drowned. Yeah. Well, now, I have to admit, I think she sold that pretty well because you could kind of see... When she was talking about him, she just had this look on her face like she was just drifting to that time. Mm-hmm. And you could just kind of see this kind of sadness and despair on her yeah. face. And then it kind of turned into this hard anger. Mm-hmm. You know, I like, now I admit she did really good with that because you didn't have time to establish all this. She had to sell that to you. Mm-hmm. And I well, thought she did she pretty well. She didn't sell it to me. Well, I thought she sold it pretty <laughs> well because I just liked how she was just looking off in this sad look. And then... She kind of just got really hard from it. Yeah. And I did like that. But uh, go ahead. I I interrupted you. Uh, I mean, I guess dislike's a harsh word. I mean, I just didn't, like, it wasn't my favorite. You didn't engage with it. No, I didn't. Yeah. I just, it just wasn't, didn't catch my attention. Got a hard time staying awake. (laughs) Uh, I mean, to me, I think this is one of those movies that also, I mean, I don't know. I mean, you've watched slasher films, but I don't think you're a huge fan of slasher films. No. Yeah, so, I mean, to me, that might be another thing, too. Maybe, you know, this... But then again, you've watched some that you really like. I mean, like slasher Halloween. films don't bother me. I just well, I just want some Jason. Well, I mean, I think I'm just saying that this isn't, like, your favorite genre to watch. No. Yeah, but you do like slasher films. I was going to point no, out... I like that zombies. Well, I, like I was going to say slashers, horror. you like Halloween. Yeah. And stuff like that. Yeah. You like the, yeah. But I would say this isn't your favorite type of No, I don't horror. like slashers without Jason. Well, I guess we'll have to avoid part five, too, because <laughs> he isn't in that. Well, he is and he's not. Let me put it that oh. way. But, um, I mean, is that all you got to uh, go yeah. with on this one? Okay. Uh, well, my, I guess... Uh, this, my uh, review or my score? Your score is one out of ten Steve Christie mustaches. Um, um, six. A six? Yeah. Well, that's still not a bad rating for a movie you weren't all that crazy about. No. Yeah, I mean, that's not a bad rating at all. You know, I mean, I thought uh, I thought it would be lower, in all honesty. I thought it would be about like a four <laughs> or something. Mm. But, yeah, I mean, that's not bad, all things considered. But, uh, like I said, I mean, and now we're going to go into our top three kills from the Friday the 13th series. No, can I say something before, like on the trivia? Like I didn't do any trivia, but... Oh, wait a minute. Yeah, let's do trivia the before budget, we Well, I didn't, I didn't really have any. Oh, I got some here. I just saw it said this had a budget of 550000 and they made $39 million. So it did really good. Well, it's funny. I've got that, but I got $59 million. It just says 39 here. Wow, okay. Yeah, I totally forgot more. trivia. We need so to... it was very popular. Yeah, oh yeah, like I said, this film spawned... The slasher Yeah, this, yeah I mean, yeah. Halloween kind of helped mm-hmm. do it, but when this film came out, slasher movies were all over the place within a year yeah. of this. And Betsy Palmer tells her fans mm-hmm. that she has no idea who this character is in the hockey mask since he, her, son dr- her son Jason drowned in 1957. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, well, what trivia i have here like i said you read part of mine already and what i have here is this film was shopped around without a completed script yet all sean cunningham had was a title friday the 13th and he put it in this uh, trade paper to say a film coming soon friday the 13th 
And he said that's how he got the money for the movie because everybody's like, ooh, I want to put money into this. This might be a good money maker. So that's how he raised the money for it. And uh, another thing I have here is Estelle Parsons and Shelley Winters turned down the role of Mrs. Voorhees. Estelle Parsons is a name that sounds familiar to me, and I can't place her name. Shelley Winters, I know who she is. She was in, like, Night of the Hunter and uh, like things like Airport and stuff like that and Poseidon Adventure. But Estelle Parsons, that name I'm rings a bell. I'm looking her up now. Okay. But I don't know. I mean... I mean, Shelley Winters was like an Oscar nominee. Oh, Estelle Parsons uh, was in Bonnie and Clyde. Oh, God, I don't even remember who she was in that. I haven't watched Bonnie and Clyde in years. Oh, she's the she's the mother in Roseanne. Oh, Roseanne Roseanne's and Jackie's mother. mother. Oh. Yeah, that's who that is. Wow. Yeah. Oh, okay. Huh. I didn't even realize. She that. was in Bonnie and Clyde. Oh, okay. Wow. She's the one that was in the car with him. She was married to one of the other people. And she got shot in the eye. Lost her eye. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> she was yeah. in the car. <laughs> I haven't watched Bonnie and Clyde in a long time. I don't, I didn't remember her even in that movie. Um, Betsy Palmer only did this film because she needed a new car. <laughs> she was paid $1,000 a day for 10 days' work. Not 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 bad. Not, bad. not bad. Yeah, week and a half work there for thousand dollars a day. Not too shabby. And the film was shot in like Hardwick Blair's Blairstown and in Warren in Warren County, New Jersey, in September nineteen seventy nine. So I guess I got this film out pretty quick, September seventy nine, and it was released in maybe mid nineteen eighty. So they got this film out pretty quick. And another thing I wanted to do, and I could not find a review on YouTube. It was there at one time. Oh, Siskel and Ebert. Yes, the Siskel and Ebert review of this. And I really wanted to put it in this podcast because it was a very interesting review where they basically just raked this movie over the coals. <laughs> Worse than Sherry did. <laughs> no, I was just joking. I'm tired. Give me a break. Oh, but... um. <laughs> Them just sitting there saying that this was basically nothing more than pornography. And pornography? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, we could almost do a whole show where I rant on about this, so I'm going to kind of try to keep this as brief as I can. Well, now, don't get me wrong. There are reviews they did I agreed with, and I do think that they had some genuine points of view on things. My problem is, is it's almost like they were watching a different film than I was. Yeah. When I was watching these. Because they were talking about how the women are just there to be stalked and killed. Just as many men. Yeah, I know. Because if you look at this first movie. First man. Yeah, the first kill in the Friday 13th was movie is a man. And all the all the sex scenes in this were very mild. Yeah. Well, it's strange that they, well, they kind of went into that. But they went into more along the lines of they just felt like how the women were just scantily clad and no. just there to be killed. And they all had long sleeve plaid shirts on. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. I was just always fascinated because I'm like, are they even watching the same movie that I watched? And how they walk, talked about how all the women were weak and just there to be killed. Alice chops the killer's head off with a machete at the end of this mm-hmm. movie. Um, and each movie, the woman is the survivor. 
There's yeah. very few men that actually survive these movies. And if the woman survives this, or the man survives this because the woman saves his ass, part two is like that. The woman saves the guy's ass because Jason's about to kill him. So I've always tried to figure out where they got this idea from. Because as a matter of fact, I think you watched this movie with me. It was called Just Before Dawn. Where there was these people out in the woods and there was these two kind of hillbilly people that turned out to be twins. And right there at the end of it, the guy's cowering on the ground and the woman takes her fist and basically puts it, punches the guy in the mouth and like strangles him. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Now, to me, does that sound like a weak woman? No, but <laughs> I think I think they're just going with the the mainstream thoughts on horror movies. Yeah. Well, it just was weird to me because this was at the time where this was like technically you could almost call Friday the 13th the first slasher. Yeah. In a lot of ways. I mean, if you don't count for Halloween or Psycho or anything. Well, I think horror movies, I don't know, this may have been even before all that, but they had a lot of um, glorifying rape and, you know, doing things that were like the women were just kind of victims and, you know, that kind of thing. Maybe that's where all this kind of started building from. I don't know. I mean, maybe so. I just, I was always, I always wished that I could have talked to either one of them and just kind yeah. of found out, like, where did this come from? Because they always acted like they went into movie theaters and it was just all men in there hooping and hollering Over when what? women were getting killed. And I'm <laughs> like, when I went to see these movies, it was men and women both. And they weren't hooping and hollering when women and men were getting killed. They were screaming. Yeah. They would scream and then they would laugh. I guess it's like at release. Yeah. It wasn't like they were laughing like, oh, that's funny that that person died. Well, I've, I've noticed in a lot of movies that you watch, like some of the horror movies or whatever, there's a lot of rape in them. There's a lot of like, like it's, it's not really seen as rape. It's oh, you're talking seen about. It's like sexy or, or whatever. You're talking about those European, like yeah. the giallo yeah. things. They kind of bother me. Well, they, that aspect of it bothers me, so yeah. I'm, not, I'm not going to fault you for that. <laughs> That's one of the things that I've never understood about those films. That's something in that mentality, because it's also in, like, uh, not only Italian films, but Japanese films I've seen, too. Oh, yes. that yeah. I gave up watching Thai dramas. There you go, yeah. Because you have so much of that um, Stockholm Syndrome mm -hmm. kind of stories that... You know, they're so mean to these women, but then they turn around and have this love for them. Yeah. And it just, I I have never been in a situation like that to know that, and, and I know it is a true thing because mm -hmm. you've seen, you know, these people that get rescued. Mm -hmm. There's a certain attachment to their captors. They have some kind of mental, yeah. that's who, the, that's all they have. Yeah. So you, human, you want to attach to something. Yeah, and that's all that's that. in front of you, you know. Mm -hmm. But there's there's just been some that you've watched. I've totally stopped watching Thai soaps because it just bothered me so much. Yeah, and I can completely understand that because what you're saying in some of them films bothers me because I don't really completely. Right. It, it's got to be a cultural thing. It is. That's, it's that's it's be very it cultural. Is. Now, like the Korean are not. There's always this. Um, 
There, it is in Koreans, but I think they're getting away from that because you almost have a little bit of the Me Too movement creeping into those cultures too. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Because you used to have like where the men in these new dramas that are coming out are not quite as condescending. You know, they'll throw them down on the bed or pin them down, yeah. and it's this, you know, wrestling with this woman. And trying to force yourself on her, but it's supposed to be seen as like a romantic, sexy thing. Yeah, I mean, you don't see as much of that in the last couple dramas so, that I've so, watched. So maybe they've um, they're start. I think it's starting mm-hmm. to creep into those cultures too that you don't are not seeing. They're they're kind of stepping back and saying maybe this isn't a good thing. Yeah, I mean, I I mean it would make sense. I mm-hmm. mean, times change and. Sometimes cultures change, you know, as far as that kind of thing. 70s movies that you're talking about, as far as those rape scenes, that was more of a free-for-all kind of thing. The one that tripped me out the most that we watched was The Ghost Galleon. Remember, the man rapes the woman on the bed. Mm -hmm. And then it never mentions ever that that even happened. She goes on an adventure with this man. And she's crawling all over him, like... For protection. And it was just like it never even mentioned that. Well, and this that falls into another one, which is even more bizarre to me, is in the movie Frankenstein Must Be Destroyed. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Where there was no scene like it in the film at all. The producers came in, we need a sex scene. But they wanted it to be a rape scene. Okay, so that's what I don't get. You and see, they were married, right? Yeah, there was a couple in it that were married. I think originally the um, director and all of them, I'm trying to get my facts straight on this story. But they said, okay, well, we got a married couple in here. Maybe we can have a little love scene between them before the shit kind of hits the fan in the right, movie. which would make sense. But no, they wanted it to be a rape scene. See, that's what I don't understand. And the thing about it is, is I remember this was a film with Peter Cushing and everything and Peter Cushing was the one that was supposed to rape this wife. And he did not want to do this scene. He didn't want to do it. The actors didn't want to do it. The director didn't want to do it. But they were forced to do it. Which doesn't make any sense. Do you think it's because it's more like it's forcing visuals on people? Like, oh, when you have like a regular sex scene. It's an enjoyable sex scene. Oh, that's that's naughty. But like rape... Is more like, oh my gosh, look what's happening. But you're also trying to sexualize those scenes. Well, you think, want it in there, but you want it to not be pornography. Well, I think the most disturbing thing about to me when I heard about that is I'm like, what does it say about the person that asked for it to be a rape scene? I know. Why? Yeah, Why? that that really kind of threw me off. If this film had been written and that rape scene was already in it. Yeah. But that Baron Frankenstein used that as a way to control this woman. Right. I would have understood. A fear thing. But this is never mentioned again in the movie because this scene was shot late into the mm-hmm. production after they had shot yeah. most of the movie. Yeah, that's what, like that ghost galleon. It was just like yeah. it happened. Yeah. And then she goes on a trip with this guy. Yeah. And she never, like, I would have waited and just slid his start and threw him over the side of the boat. Yeah, well... That that's something that I have a problem with. You're talking about the blind dead movies. I think 
There's a one in the original. There's a rape scene in that movie that's particularly very similar to that. Mm-hmm. That is very like, you could take that scene right out of the movie. <laughs> it wouldn't hurt anything. Well, you know, it's just like I have certain feelings about, you know, I was attacked when I was 15 in the park. Yeah. With some strange man that I don't know. And it's like, like having a like thought process about if you ever like knew that person and you had a relationship with them after that. Well, and it just does not, it doesn't work that way. Partially what some of these reviewers were doing with the slasher films back in the day. Yeah. I think they were associating the sexuality and the murder and making it like these women deserve to die because they were sexual or these men deserve to die because they were sexual. More so to women. Yeah. Oh, no. Women can't enjoy sex. Yeah. Or women can't be sexual at all. They have to be puritanical. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I just, I looked at these films from a completely different perspective. I didn't find this movie sexual at all. Well, I didn't find it. Or anything. The sex scenes in it were very, there was, I think the scene with Kevin Bacon, I mean, they had a sheet on the bottom of them. All you seen was his back. I think maybe a side boob. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Well, for me, I think really what it is, is that. For some reason, associated, it was like, I guess what, you have sex and then you die. Okay. Or, some, or something or <laughs> another. And I don't know. I just, I never quite put my finger on exactly what they found so offensive about these movies. Because the, the big thing that I kept hearing is how it was always women. Yeah. And how it was always scantily clad women who were just being hacked up by killers. When in every, pretty much every slasher film I've ever watched, it's been men and women both. Mm-hmm. It's been very rare when I've seen a movie where it's just all women. Because you really want to see that jerk-ass guy get killed. There's yeah. always one in every horror movie. Oh, God, yes. That's, that's a prick. Yeah. And you want to see him die. And, I mean, there was a movie I can go into. I mean, there's many of them I can go into where the women get the killer at the end. It's never the man. It's no. very rarely ever the man that stops What is them. it? Was it called the final girl? Yeah. There's a reason why it's called the final girl. Because yeah. she's the one that Left steps up and yeah. takes mm-hmm. takes action. I mean, I always point out um, another one of my favorites outside of Just Before Dawn is a Slumber Party Massacre where, you know, that killer with the drill <laughs> and everything and he... The women get to a point, one of them, she chases the killer outside with a machete. You know, he realizes, I think she uh, she basically grabs a machete and goes after him. You know, she's like, I'm going to kill your ass. And I'm like, if these are women that are victims, they sure aren't showing it in any way. So, I don't know. I mean, it's like I said, I really wish I had that Cisco neighbor. Is that homo? Yeah. yeah. Was that that movie? No, it was a different movie. Oh, that's a different one. You were talking about The Last Slumber Party. Yes. I'm talking about The Slumber Party Massacre. They love different. the word homo in that. Yeah, no, this is a completely <laughs> different one. This is the one about the killer that goes and stalks these women. He's got like a drill. Oh, I'm talking about the like the insane asylum. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a completely where you had two one. killers in the same house. Yeah, no, this is competing. A, <laughs> this is a different one. Now I could see where you think that because a lot of people thought that was a sequel to Last or Slumber Party Massacre, but it wasn't. I just heard Slumber Party. Yeah, but um, I don't know. I just kind of wanted to. I really wish I could have found that Siskel Nebert review because they like basically gave away where Betsy Palmer lived. 
Why? So that they could write letters to, people would write letters to her and say, how dare you appear in this movie? And they wanted people to write letters to Paramount Pictures That's and the producers and everything. And I don't know, to me, I... I've, They're a little conservative. Well, I have a lot of respect for Siskel and Ebert yeah. because I do... They were good reviewers, mm -hmm. but for some reason, they got on their soapbox about this kind of stuff. Were they always that way about slashers? Uh-huh. They never changed their... They never did. And what they seen in them was completely different than what I've seen in them. I think they're just being a little too serious about it. That's um, my best guess because... I mean, I agree with some of it, but not all of it. Uh, I mean, a lot of these movies are teenagers. I mean, sex and partying and that kind of thing is just teenagers. Well, I guess my part about it is I just never got, like I've said already, the female victims thing where they just act like it's all women being killed. And that they just sat there and the women just cower like, no, no, and then they're killed. Well, I mean, now that happened with some of them, but you always had that one woman in the end who basically like, yeah. you know, I'm going to take well, charge of this. you got to think about their generation, their older generation. You don't want to visibly see a woman get killed. Well, I mean, I guess you, I could look at it from that angle. Is that I guess you have to look at those kinds of things as generational. Also, I mean, I did try to look at it from that angle, and I can kind of see that. I think really my problem with Siskel and Ebert on that is I just kind of felt like they were a little out of line on it. Because if you don't like the movie, you don't like it. Yeah. You can't please everybody. But don't sit there and berate the actors, actresses, have people trying to write Betsy Palmer, telling that's, her that how dare you there. be in this movie, <laughs> write to the producers. They acted like basically they made a snuff film. <laughs> Betsy Palmer, I'd be like, fuck you, I need my car fixed. <laughs> well, I think she basically, I think she did kind of comment on it. She said, she, in a nutshell, it just sounded like she was just like, these people just need to get a life. No, because literally the same, how many, there was, there wasn't the same amount of men were killed that women. Three yeah. women, three men. Three men. I think, actually, I think it was Alice more. was the tipper. I think it was. Well, no, you had the Steve guy. Like, if she had gotten killed, it would have been even. Yeah, yeah. So it was pretty even. Yeah. It was very close. I mean, I just know Betsy Palmer even admitted she thought the movie was a piece of trash. and But she said as time went on and she actually kind of talked to fans about it and kind of understood why they liked it so much, she kind of turned around on it. But she said it was a little while before she did because she just, like, I just need my car. You know, that's how she looked at it. But then when she heard how people talked about it, she went to conventions. Like I was telling you, she was like holding little babies because people were wanting Wow. You know, and I mean, everybody talks about by all accounts. You know, when she was doing conventions before she passed away, she was like one of the biggest huggers there. She loved to hug everybody and everything else. And I don't know. It was just like she seemed like she was a very sweet woman. And I just kind of hated to hear how they were just basically trying to say, how dare you appear in this movie? And I don't know. It's just like I said, I have a lot of respect for Siskel, Siskel and Ebert, you know, for what they did back in the day. But I don't know. That's just something where we just mm -hmm. did not see eye to eye. I mean, do you have anything else as far as trivia? Anything else uh, no. you want to say? Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess we'll go back into what I was originally going to do before I forgot the trivia. And we're going to go into what are our top three kills from the Friday the 13th series. Yeah. These... I'm going to let you go first. I mean, they ain't got to be in no particular order. Yeah. You can just throw out, you know, I guess give the which 
film it was and just tell me what well, the kill you is. had to actually tell me the parts because i didn't oh in my mind like so many movies they kind of bleed together I, they like i think i'm like i'm watching a certain movie but i'll tell you and you'll say no this is a different movie okay like they all just kind of bleed that. together I understand um that. so part six where jason folds the share up sheriff up like a beach chair yeah now i have to admit if you hadn't picked that one i would have picked that because <laughs> that's a rough scene yeah right there. and you there's no blood in it so no it's just the, it's the sound of it <laughs> now i remember i think it's on the blu-ray set or the dvd set or both of them where they have an uncut version of that scene yeah and you see more of it oh, and it's like more. you see that sheriff's legs kicking a lot more when oh. he's being bent over that's an that's an amazing kill scene. Mm. That is, I mean, I remember the first time I seen that one, and I was like, "Whoa!" <laughs> <laughs> you know? It's like I said, if you hadn't picked that one, I would have picked it because, God, I think that's probably the best kill scene in that movie. Yeah, easy. I mean, yeah, because I mean, I'd never seen anything like that in a movie Mm-mm. before, and that one's awesome. So, like I said, I can't blame you. I would have picked that one too. And that's your uh, third, and my. Third uh, and my top three is going to be the machete in the face on the guy in a wheelchair in Friday the 13th Part 2. He's basically looking around. There's this girl he's about to hook up with. And he's kind of looking around outside and, you know, he's in a wheelchair. And all of a sudden this machete just buries itself in his face and he just like rolls down the steps. And that scene is just... For one thing, it's a man in a wheelchair being killed. I know. He's already has it bad yeah, enough. Yeah, he's already got problems. And just, he's not like that guy from in the woods one. Oh, don't, don't go in the woods. Yeah, where he's like. He takes all that time to get up there. Yeah, he, all that time getting up atop that hill in a wheelchair, and then he finally gets up there and then the machine comes and chops, Chop. it, yeah, chops his head off. Yep. That's what life is right there. You that, just work They need hard. a body count. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was just an extra kill. Yeah, you know, we hadn't had a kill in a while. Let's kill yeah. a disabled person. Yeah. But that kill in that wheelchair, there were so many good kills in part two, but that one always stuck out to me just by how violent and kind of visceral it is. Because, I mean, that thing just hits him in the face and he just rolls backwards down the steps. And yeah. it's just, it's harsh. I mean, it's extremely harsh. I mean, I almost picked the one where the two or the couple are in bed and he puts the spear through them. Yes. In that one. And I will say that one was very close, but I do think that this one hits a little harder. That was a girl from Rad? Yeah. Now, watching the uncut footage of the spear going through. Nice. Did it go through her? Yeah, it goes through both of them. It goes through both of them. From the top down. Yeah, he's on top of her and goes through him Oh, I thought she was on top. No, it goes through oh. him and her and through the bed. Dang. Yeah, now that would have been my runner-up on that. Those two were neck and neck, but I thought the machete one to me just worked a tad bit more just because I just always remember hearing a thunk of the machete going in his head. But that is my third pick right there. So what do you have for your number two? Um, the I think it's in part seven when Jason takes the girl that's in the sleeping bag and just slams her into the tree. Yeah, um... I like that one too. That's probably that's probably one of my favorite kills in that movie, and that's actually more violent if you watch mm-hmm. the uncut because I think in the theatrical one he just grabs her and hits her against a tree one time. Yeah. In the uncut footage, he slams her against a tree about like four or five times. 
And I think uh, I think you actually see blood coming out of the uh, sleeping bag. Jason, dang. Yeah, uh, I like that one a lot because they actually recreated it in Jason X, where Jason's in that virtual reality thing and he kills these two girls and he's beating a uh, sleeping bag up against mm-hmm. a tree. So they actually, I guess that was so popular they did it twice. Yeah, I can understand where that one would be a popular one with you. I really like that one too. And in all honesty, it was hard to pick three of them. For mm-hmm. me, because there was so many of them I liked, it was just very difficult. But my uh, second one is from Friday the Thirteenth, the final chapter, and this is the scene where the coroner in the hospital was killed. And basically, what Jason does is grabs this coroner, buries a hacksaw in the side of his neck, and starts slicing into his neck with it, and then takes the guy's head and twists it around. That is probably one of the most brutal kills in that movie. I mean, that movie's full of them. But that one right there, I remember just watching that, and I was like, oh, my God. Because you could see the hacksaw, like, burying into his neck. And he just kept sawing. Mm -hmm. And then he just takes the guy's head and just snaps it backwards. And it looks so real and so disgusting. I mean, it was amazing. I would love to know how they did that. Because, I mean, that one just blows me away every time I see it. But that is my number two kill. So what would you say is your first one? Um, in Jason versus, or Freddy versus Jason, where Jason comes out of the cornfield in the rave party. Oh, and he just and slaughters. Just slaughters everybody. Yeah, I like that. And yeah. all, you got all the green flashy lights going because it's a rave party. Yeah, wasn't he on fire in yes. that scene too? Yeah, because uh-huh. somebody set him that on fire. That girl set him on fire. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, God, yeah, because yeah. he was going, yeah, he was just chopping people up. I mean, whoever was in front of him, yeah, I remember mm-hmm. that scene. Yeah. I know a lot because everybody was drunk and stumbling around, and and they thought he was a hillbilly. <laughs> yeah, because there's that one guy that he was like standing because Jason was standing behind yeah. him. He was like calling him Jethro or yeah. something, <laughs> and Jason just grabs him by the head and twists his neck backwards, and that's when <laughs> that's when it's on after that. Yeah, I remember that scene. I actually, yeah, that one was really good. I mean, I know a lot of people don't like Freddy versus Jason, but I love it. I just love that movie. Yeah, well, I mean, that's a great kill. 2000, so raves were, you know, very popular. Is that when that came out, 2000? 2000s, yeah. Yeah, I don't remember what year that came out, but... That's in 2013. Or was that a documentary or something? I maybe looked at it wrong. No, it wasn't that 2013. I think it was out earlier than that. I could have sworn it was out like in the late 90s. But no, I think you're right. I think it was like 2003, maybe? That might be it. I, I can't be 100% sure on that one. I put Freebie. Freebie. Freddy versus Jason. Because I thought Freddy was so stupid in that movie trying to... Why is it showing TV stuff? Oh, Freddy vs. Jason 2003. 2003, mm-hmm. okay. So, now, there was some kind of TV show called Freddy vs. Jason. I don't know what that 2016. is. 2016. I've never even heard of that. I don't even know what that is. That might be something they was trying to oh, do. Oh, it's for... not. It's, it's Freddy versus Jason, but it's not anything to do with... Okay. It's actually two normal guys. Okay. So... Uh, so the rave one was your yeah. uh, number one. Yeah, because he slashed some fucking people up in that. It was awesome. Yeah, I really liked that one. I hate well ravers. Oh well, then I could see where that scene would be your favorite because yeah, it, <laughs> take him out. It's Jason killing stoners. <laughs> yeah, that's basically what that scene was. And my number one, which was difficult, but this is 
one also from Friday the 13th, the final chapter. This wasn't a Jason kill. This was Jason being killed. Oh, okay. And what this is is where he is dispatched in that film and where uh, a very young Corey Feldman buries a machete right in the side of Jason's head. Jason falls to his knees and goes to the ground, and the machete slides up the side of his skull, burying itself into, like, his brain pan. And just that whole scene was just, it was something. I mean, Friday 13th Part 4 is probably one of them that has some of the strongest special effects of the whole series in it. Mm -hmm. Because Jason's death in that movie is just horrifying. I mean, I'll never forget just watching that scene where that machete just slides up. I mean, I remember going to the theater to see that movie. And everybody was just like, ooh, you know, everybody was just freaked out. And I don't know, I just, I loved that one so much. I mean, it was just, and really in a way, as much as I hate to say it, in some ways that should have been the end of Jason. Because really, you had some good films after that one. Mm-hmm. But that was probably a good death for Jason yeah. you know, to wrap it up. But uh, that is my final of the top three here. So yeah. what I'm going to do is I'm going to pass it on to you and say, what is your favorite Jason film? You know, My favorite Jason film? Yeah. I think because I watched it most, the one with the part six. So when Freddy versus Jason. Well, that's a close second. Okay, but you say part. But I was thinking about it after we talked about it. Part. Are you with, talking about part, with the girl that had the mind? Part powers. seven. Part seven. Part seven. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I watched that one most, and I just liked that one. So you say, oh, so that was one you watched pretty regularly mm-hmm. on, while on video and yeah. everything. So you just like the girl with the powers and yeah. kind of evenly matched with Jason. See, there's another thing I could go back on. That was a movie where Jason hell Oh, he gets so mad at her. Oh yeah. He was getting pissed off. Yeah, and hell, everything I mean, she was throwing everything at him. Mm-hmm. He kept coming. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, you could see he was getting He's angry like, because people usually girl, just die. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because she uh, knocked him downstairs mm-hmm. and threw couches. And nails at, at him. him. Yeah. Whole jar of nails. Yeah. Yeah. He where was, he pulled the nail out of his head. Oh, I loved the one thing where he was kinda well, he once again he was killing this guy, stomping on his spine and was going to break his spine. And she was using her powers. And you could see his head turning around. And it was almost like his head was being squeezed and like pus and everything was coming mm. out. Oh, yeah. And then he turned around and looked at her and the, his mask was ripped pussed. off. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's nothing. Hell, she saved the guy. Yeah. She wasn't a victim. She saved him. So... Yeah, I like that. I mean, I actually like that movie a lot. Um, that's one that I wish the cut footage was left in it because that's the one mm-hmm. where you was talking about the the uh, sleeping bag. Yeah. They cut that up. They cut a lot of gore out of that movie. Mm. Yeah, because that movie was a lot more violent than what it was before it got put out. Well, a close second would be Freddy versus Jason. So you'd say Freddy versus Jason, that one's mm-hmm. probably a neck and neck. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I can completely see that because... Um, I mean, both of them I'll enjoy. I mean, Freddy versus Jason does get a lot of hate at times, and I don't understand why. I mean, I can speak to when I went to the theater to see that movie. And it was almost like going to see an old school Friday 13th movie in the theater. 
Yeah. Because when Freddie and Jason finally appeared on screen together in mm-hmm. their big fight, everybody was cheering. I love that scene. Hooting and hollering. Mm-hmm. It was just so much fun. It was probably... Freddie underestimated Jason. Like, yeah. he thought he could control him. Yeah. Jason was like, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, that's it. I mean, it was like uh, the Frankenstein monster, mm-hmm. basically, and he couldn't yeah. control it. And I don't know. I had so much fun watching Freddie versus I love Jason it. in theater. That was... I remember I watched it the Friday it came out, and I literally went back the next day and seen it again. It's the only movie I ever rented on DirecTV. Oh, wow, really? Yeah. Oh, I've never even done that, so you're you're ahead of me in that regard. Yeah. But, yeah, I really, I mean, I can't fault you there. But I'm going to go, now this is, I'm going to say my favorite sequel is part two. This is the baghead, Jason. This is before he gets his hockey mask. Now, I love this one because it is really... The original Friday the 13th kind of set the stage, but this one right here really nailed it down. Mm-hmm. You know, of how the formula for these films works. Right. The kills in this one were very brutal. Like I was talking about the two in bed with the spear. Mm-hmm the machete and the guy with the wheelchair yeah, and everything. And it has the, probably the best of the final girls in it to me, uh, Amy Steele, who played Jenny in the mm-hmm. movie. I think she's probably the best of them. I don't know. Everything just works about that one from beginning to end. And, of course, what you were complaining about in the original Friday the 13th, they do similar to this mm-hmm. because you don't really see Jason right and away. And I didn't much care for that. Yeah, you see his feet. Mm-hmm. You see his hands. Which is not like Jason. Now, very briefly, you see him. Yeah. Where there's a cop going down the road, and Jason just runs real quick across the road. Yeah. It's just like really brief glimpses, but you don't really see him until right there toward the end of mm-hmm. it. I don't know. I mean, to me, that one is my favorite, but I'm going to throw this out there. It was very close with Friday 13th Part 6. And this is one of those cases of, if you ask me this week, which is my favorite, it might be part two. Mm-hmm. You ask me this same question next week, it might be part six. Because these mm-hmm. are two both that are very close. And part six, of course, the one you like where the guy gets bent over backwards and <laughs> broken in half. I don't know, part six just has this very dark humor about it. And Jason, this is this is the first of the zombie Jason movies. Oh to yeah. To where he's resurrected like a Frankenstein monster by electricity. Yeah. <laughs> I always loved it where there's actually kids at the camp this time. Mm-hmm. All the other films, the kids haven't got there yet. Right. There are kids actually there. And I love there's a scene where all this ruckus is going outside with Jason and there's these two little boys up under the bed and they're just listening to all this screaming. And I remember one of the boys looks at the other and says, well, what did you want to be when you grew up? <laughs> you know, like, and the other boy just looks at him like, oh, no. And I don't know. I just love part six so much, too. It was really hard to pick. That's why I had to kind of throw that in there because they're both really neck and neck for me is like my favorite side of the series. But like I said, this week is part two. Next week, it might be part six. Yeah. But that's really where I kind of stand on that. I mean, it's, I, I mean, I enjoy all the sequels, really. But I'm going to mention one that I didn't like. Which would be? Well, it's technically not a sequel. The one I did not like 
is the remake. You know, I guess I could say, you know, even though you didn't really like this original one that much, I mean, you didn't hate it, but you said no, you, you didn't really like it. No, it's not a Jason movie. Did you me. want to see these people get killed? No. Did you hate them where you want to see them get no. killed? Okay. This remake of Friday the 13th, I want to see every one of these people die. <laughs> In any other Friday the 13th movies, there was always at least a few couple of them, two mm-hmm. or three. I'm like, no, I don't want to see this person die yeah. like them. That remake... I was like, I couldn't wait for these people to die fast enough. <laughs> I mean, they were just assholes, all of them. <laughs> and it was not not only that, but the movie commits the ultimate sin that any movie can do for me. It was boring. Oh, Lord. Yeah. And the only good thing I can say about that movie is I thought the guy that played Jason was good. That's the only good thing I can say about that movie. Because everybody acted like the movie was so brilliant, and I've talked to a few people that said this. There's like, well, it explains how Jason got around in the woods and how he was able to cut people off is because he had tunnels up under <laughs> Crystal Lake. And I was like, well, I assume Jason lived in the woods his whole life. After he drowned, he probably lived in the woods. Yeah. Wouldn't after you lived in the woods so long, wouldn't you know yeah. your way around in the shortcuts? Anyway? I knew the back back of my the woods behind my house. I knew every tree, every bush. Yeah, yeah. There you go. <laughs> so I mean, to me, I never understood that. I'm like, why would you? What the tunnels? I mean, it was just over explaining stuff that didn't need to be explained. Yeah. And I just that remake was just not good to me. <laughs> I wanted to see everybody die in the movie, <laughs> and they couldn't have died quick enough. But I mean, to me. It, I don't know what's going to happen. As of this recording of this podcast, the uh, Friday the 13th films are in limbo due to some copyright issues. Um, I think in a nutshell, one side, you can't use the name Friday the 13th or Jason. And there's another side where you can't use... What was it? It was something else. Point being... Is you couldn't, it was like Mrs. Voorhees or something. I can't really understand what it is now. Uh, It's it's very complicated. It's just some weird thing. I guess when they need to make some money, they'll clear that up. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's exactly probably what will happen. (laughs) But as of right now, the Friday the 13th movies are on hold. Yeah, because Halloween's out here smoking it. (laughs) Yeah, oh, yeah, Halloween movies. Yeah, I mean, because they're not even making Elm Street films. Yeah, Um, I know. Yeah. They, uh, They better resurrect some people soon. Yeah. Michael's going to reign supreme. Well, pretty much. That's what's been happening. He's been towing the line. Mm -hmm. You know, because, um, let's see, the last Elm Street film came out was the remake of the original. Mm -hmm. And the last Friday 13th movie was the remake. Mm -hmm. And then nothing. And both of those films were reviewed very poorly. So I don't know. I mean, I hope that they'll continue on at some point. I was like you said, whenever there's money to be made, I'm sure yeah, this will get clear. Cleared. They'll, they'll clear it up. <laughs> but I don't know. I mean, it's like I said, I, I don't think you've seen enough of these films to say which one you would feel is the worst. But, you know. I, I didn't really care for um the man when he went to Manhattan. Oh, that would have been my second. Yeah, yeah I didn't really one. care for that one. Yeah. So what the fuck's he got? Why would he even give a shit? Well, the thing about the Manhattan one was it was Jason on a boat for probably 80% of the movie, and then he was in New York the last 20%, and that's me being generous. Mm -hmm. So it was was touted as Jason goes to Manhattan, but he was hardly even in New York. (laughs) 
Yeah, I have to admit that's in my that would have probably been runner up for yeah. me. Yeah, I didn't care too much for that one. Oh, that one was another one that was just kind of boring. I liked Jason X. It was pretty. Jason decent. X was a fun. One. It was decent. Yeah, it was a fun movie. You just um, had to let it be itself. <laughs> and I had another really great kill in it. There was another one I was going to pick where he puts the woman in the frozen stuff and then slams her head into the desk and busts her face open. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, uh, I can't remember what it was, like liquid nitrogen or something. I can't remember, but it was like something yeah, and bust her face open. But yeah. Yeah, I like that one too. That one gets a lot of flack, but I really like that. I like Jason Goes to Hell, but it's not really a Friday 13th movie. Oh, yeah. I saw that one too. I've seen more than I... Yeah, think I, yeah. I remember when we're talking about it. But but they just bleed all together. In they bleed head. all together. Yeah, I can understand yeah. where they would. I could see that. But um, I guess if you don't have anything more to say, I guess this will be uh, we'll wrap up this uh, episode. Yeah. But um, I apologize for being so out of it in this one. But well, I apologize because <laughs> I think my voice kept breaking up during this podcast, and because I've got some drainage going mm-hmm. on from sinus Mr. trouble. Mr. Ladd hurt his arm at work. And he had surgery this week. Yeah. At the time of this recording, I just had surgery, so I'm a little out of it. So I tried to be as uh, on the ball as I could. But like I said, that'll wrap up this particular episode. And I want to thank everyone who's been listening. Yeah. And uh, feel free to comment on the Facebook page and uh, send us an email at themovieclinic at gmail.com. And that's T-H-A, not T-H-E in the uh, email headline and i guess what we'll do is we will let sherry let you know what she has picked for the next episode um yeah i you know had a long list of ones and it was hard to narrow ones down but um this is a movie that i have always loved and will always love Mm -hmm. um 1987's the lost boys yeah well, this, and my favorite kind of vampire, other than Barnabas. Other than Barnabas Collins. Yeah, yeah. which are well, two different. Oh, of course. Yeah, two spectrums. Yeah, this is a movie I have to admit, if you hadn't picked it, I probably would have yeah. at some point. So, yeah, this is definitely one of my childhood favorites, hands I'm down. I'm so excited about doing this. Yeah, one. this one's going to be a great one to talk about. And I don't know, maybe we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Uh, there's some sequels to this. That are not good. Dodgy. Yeah. Uh-huh. I was gonna be a little kinder than you, yeah. uh, dodgy. <laughs> but um maybe I'll throw in some talk about those too. But uh I guess uh until next time, I'm David. I'm Sherry. And we will talk to you again soon. Bye. Bye.